Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul declared that every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ for judgment. If we've truly received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will have a judgment for our reward in heaven. If we have not, we will receive a judgment for punishment in hell. Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 2 and look at these overwhelming and sobering truths of the coming judgment. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to be a more devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. All right. We're continuing in Romans chapter two. Um, we're going to begin in uh, Romans two. We're going to start in verse 11 today. And uh, I don't know how far I'll get, maybe through 16, maybe a little farther. Um, we, we talked about last time how, as Paul moves into chapter two, and remember when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't put chapters in it. So, you know, chapters were put in much, much later. So this is a letter he's writing to Romans. The chapters are put in as good and sensible breaks for us. But coming into chapter two, Paul is now dealing with the person who believes that, you know, they're not you know, terrible sinners. They're not doing what they would be, they would consider the horrible sins in chapter one. They're relatively good people and, you know, they're not perfect, but, you know, God is not really going to give them a hard time because, you know, they're not that bad. And Paul here is going to really show in chapter two that, that no, that all of us at the foot of the cross are equally sinful. We're, we're all hopeless, helpless, and in desperate need of a savior, and without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, above all, as always, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf, for dying a torturous death on our behalf, and we thank you that you're alive and risen, and we worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read through 16. Verse 11, Romans 2, for God does not show favoritism. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. 14, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. So Romans 2.11 
um, you know, ought to be a well-known verse to us. And, you know, it, it is a, a universal principle, okay? Now, he's certainly speaking about it here in the context of this chapter, but it is a universal principle, the whole verse, Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. Six words, Stephen. For God does not show favoritism. There is no partiality with him, okay? All eight billion people on the in the world, as I've said over and over and over, are sinful. All of us need a savior, okay? No one can come to the Father. No one can have spiritual life. No one can spend eternity in heaven except through Jesus Christ alone. There is no favoritism with our heavenly Father, okay? No one can do an end around. So you cannot reject Jesus and say you're a Muslim and get to heaven. You cannot reject Jesus and say you're a Hindu and get to heaven. You cannot reject Jesus and, and say you're some kind of new age person and get to heaven, okay? For God does not show favoritism. It's either receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which is, which is, which is an incredible, just overwhelming display of the love of God our Father, that he sent God the Son, Jesus, to live in our place, to die a torturous death in our place and raised him from the dead so that we could have relationship with the triune God, so that we could have eternal life and spiritual life and new life in Jesus, so that we could be children of our heavenly father and so that we could ultimately go to heaven when we die. So, you know, to so many people, this truth, this reality that God does not show favoritism and that every human being, you know, no matter of any time or any age or any nationality or any ethnicity, all need Jesus. This is not intolerant. Okay. It sounds intolerant to so many people, but it's truly the greatest message of love ever. It's the truth. It's what the Bible unambiguously teaches Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. And that's, you know, that is obviously just intuitive as well, okay? Obviously, we know by our own conscience, in our own heart, that it's not right to show favoritism, okay? We're supposed to live according to the truth, beginning in our own lives, and then with everyone else. We should evaluate ourselves according to the truth, ourselves first, and then others. And when we do that, we'll see that our conscience tells us, our heart shows us that, that all of us know that we have consistently thought wrong things, spoken wrong things, and done wrong things. We're sinful, okay? And because we're sinful, uh, we need a savior. Universally, all humanity needs a savior, and that one savior by the mercy of our God and Father is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So that's good news, right? God does not show favoritism. All humanity is sinful, and Jesus Christ came and gave his life for all of us. And what we need to do is receive him. We need to simply acknowledge our hopelessness, our helplessness, and, and that 
Jesus Christ is the only solution. We acknowledge before Jesus that we believe he is the son of God. We believe that he did come into this world that he created, lived a perfect life on our behalf, died a torturous death on our behalf, and we acknowledge and believe that he is alive and risen. And from that place, John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. From that, that knowing place of hopeless, helpless desperation, you call out to Jesus, you receive him, you ask him to come into your heart to be the Lord of your life, to save you from your sin, and you will be saved. And so Paul says, for, for God does not show favoritism, verse 12, for all who sin apart from the law, this would be Gentiles, will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So it was the, the Jewish people who received the law. They received the law from Moses. God gave it to Moses, and Moses gave it to the Jewish people. The Ten Commandments, Scott, right, that are in courthouses everywhere in the country, um, you know, the Ten Commandments are the law of God. Okay. Now there are, there were obviously many more laws. Okay. But, the, but God gave them an Exodus 20. He gives them the 10 commandments. So these were given specifically to the Jewish people. Now a Gentile could become a Jew and he could, you know, someone, a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. Everyone else in the world who's not Jewish is a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. Um, and if you were a Gentile, you could come in and, you know, you could, you know, you could become part of the Jewish people. You could submit yourself under the God of the Jews, right? So in verse 12, when Paul says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. So if you're not Jewish and you did not, you know, you, you didn't have the law of God, you didn't have the scriptures, you didn't have the first five books of the Bible, you didn't have the Ten Commandments, Paul says that, you weren't given the law, but you were still sinful apart from the law. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. Perish means to die and spend eternity in hell. Meaning you never had the, the Ten Commandments. You never had the law that told you, how to told you how to behave. But nonetheless, you've had the law of your conscience you knew in your heart right from wrong, and you consistently still spent your life doing wrong, and so you'll perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So you were a Jew or a Gentile who came under the Jewish law, and you know you were given the law, but you didn't keep the law, and so now the law is going to judge you, and you'll also perish and spend eternity in hell. Verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Wow, Nathan. All right. Whew. Kristen, listen to that. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. There was an idea amongst the Jewish people because they were the chosen people of God, because they had this incredible revelation, because they had the Ten Commandments, because they had the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, that, that somehow by them having the law or hearing the law or knowing the law, that somehow that they would be declared righteous. And this is 
boom, Paul is rocking him here and letting him know, no, it's not your awareness of the law that makes you righteous, but it's, it's your perfect obedience to the law of God that makes you righteous. Now, this is radical, okay? Because obviously none of us, none of them, none of us can keep the entire law perfectly. Every one of us has broken all the commandments consistently. You know, somebody will say, you know, but I never murdered anyone. I never, I never committed adultery. And then you turn over to the New Testament and Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery against her. Really, everyone has done that. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you've had murder against him in your heart. What? Golly. So it's, I mean, it's just the depth of the law of God. We have, we have no idea. To keep the law perfectly, to be declared righteous according to God's law, Corinne, you actually would have, your entire life, you would have to have every thought you ever thought be perfect and pure, every word that came out of your mouth be perfect and pure, and everything you did, every action perfect and pure. Those are the demands and commands of the law of God. So we're going to come to understand that the law was given to us, and we learn this in Galatians, and we'll learn it here uh, later in Romans. The law wasn't given to us as a means of salvation. The law was given to us to show us the standard of God that we cannot keep it, that we're hopeless, helpless, and in desperate need of a Savior. That's why we've been given the law of God. The law is given to us to, to point us to Christ, to show us our desperate need of a Savior, to show us how sinful we really are. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now look what he says in verse 14. So if you could hypothetically or theoretically obey every aspect of the law wrap, you could be you, you could be declared righteous in God's sight. Becky, if you could actually, in thought, word, and deed, perfectly carry out the law of God, then he would welcome you into heaven based on the law. Theoretically, okay? Now, the scripture has made it clear that no one can do that. All of us are sinful and we need a savior. There is only one who has perfectly obeyed the law in thought, word, and deed, and that's Jesus. Incredibly, Kristen, right? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived in fully obeying the law and thought, word, and deed is credited to you. Think about that, Chris. The entire perfect law of God Every requirement of the law in thought, word, and deed that Jesus obeyed and fulfilled in his earthly life is actually credited to you when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as if you perfectly obeyed the law in thought, word, and deed. And that's not all. And then all of your sin that you committed in your life, past, present, and future, if you're still living, all of that sin is put to Christ at the cross. Wow. Yeah, Susan, think about that, Pop. That exchange, Scott, that exchange of the perfect righteous life of Jesus 
for all of my sin and disobedience. That's the heart of the Christian gospel. My, my, my. Look at verse 14. Indeed, Paul says, I like that word indeed, Dave. Indeed, Matthew, when Gentiles who do not have the law, because remember, the law was given to the Jewish people. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So what is he saying here? So he's saying, number one, he just said in verse 13, right? For it is not those may who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So what Paul is dealing with here is the fact that, first of all, it's only the Jews who had the law. Okay, so in dealing with the Jewish people, it's not in hearing it. It would be in the fact that you would have to perfectly obey it. And if you could, as Jesus did, you would be declared righteous as Jesus was. But we cannot. Okay, we cannot. But now what about everybody else? Okay, so now Paul is going to deal with everyone else who, who wasn't given the law, wasn't given the revelation of the law. Okay, and these are Gentiles. These are all the other people in the world that weren't Jewish. Verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, okay, because the law was only given to the Jews, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. Verse 15. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now even, now accusing, now even defending them. So what's he saying? So, so although, you know, because someone could argue, well, what about all the other people who didn't have the law? What about all the, the Gentile people who weren't given the law? It's not fair. They didn't have, a, have an opportunity to obey it. Paul says, no, 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 no. Okay. That even Gentiles, you know, even though they weren't given the written law of God, they had the moral law of God written in their hearts, written on their consciences. Every human being has been given this incredible thing that science has no answer for called a conscience. Every one of us has a conscience and we intuitively know right from wrong. Now, as we live in more and more deliberate sin, we can sear our conscience. We can get more and more hardened to our conscience. And, and only in Christ can our conscience be restored. Only in Christ can really our conscience be fully alive. But all human beings, even non-Christians, they have a conscience and they instinctively, they intuitively, by the common grace of God, by the mercy of God, they know right from wrong. They, they, they have a moral law written on their hearts, even if they never open the Bible, even if they never read the Bible. All human beings, all societies, all cultures know right from wrong. So Paul says in verse 14, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, because it wasn't given to anyone but the Jews, do by nature things required by the law. So again, people can by nature in the common grace of God, right, Chris, they can obey the word of God. They can, you know, they can do the things that the Bible says to do. Now, we can't be saved by them. 
You can't go to heaven by them. You can't have spiritual life by them. You can't avoid eternal hell by doing any things, but we can do them by nature. Things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. So they, they weren't given the written law of God, but they have a law of God written in their hearts since they show that the requirements of the law, verse 15, are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. And look at this, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So they, their, their very thoughts, their consciences, okay, accuse them when they do wrong. And it, it's the same with all of us. Even if we don't have a Bible, right? We have a conscience that knows when we've done something wrong. We know when we've told a lie. We know when we've done something we shouldn't be doing, right? We have a conscience. We know when something is right or wrong. We know when we're cheating or lying or, or stealing or being disingenuous, when we're gossiping, when, you know, we're being insincere, when we're being fake. You know, we can go on and on and on and on, right? Our consciences convict us when we're doing wrong, okay? This is the, the, the actual miracle of morality that God has written on the hearts of all human beings. Since they show, verse 15, that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So again, whether you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, You've experienced this in your life. A child can experience this. A child knows when they've done wrong. My twin daughters, Kristen and Lauren, you know, as they grew up, you know, before they had become Christians, before they truly understood that they were sinful and that they needed a savior, whether, you know, they were four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, 10, 12, 14, 16, you know, they, uh, you know, they knew when they did wrong, you know, and, you know, they, they have a, a sinful nature, and when they lived according to that nature, you know, their consciences, you know, convicted them that they were doing wrong. It's the same with, with all humanity, again, since, uh, since we're small children. But this is interesting. Um, look what he says in verse 16. And this is powerful, and we're going to end here. He says, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Wow. All right, so he's rolling here in this argument, Junior. Do you see this? All right, so I want to go, I'm going to start in 14 again, just so we can read it and just get the flow of it. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Can you see? Can you see here, Jones? Can you see, Stephen? Jose, do you just see the beauty of this? Do you just see the, the harmony, the melody, just the, the symmetry, the power of it all? Just when you go through this book of Romans, Lauren, my goodness. Wow. Golly, Alicia, do you see that? Whew. My, 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 my. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ 
And then look what he says in these last four words, Pop. As my gospel declares. Hold up. Wait a minute. What, what does he mean by that? This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets. I get that. There's going to be a judgment, okay? Every human being will stand before God. And what does he mean by men's secrets? He's saying that when every one of us stand before God, when every one of us stand before Jesus, because our judgment will be before Jesus, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you'll go before the judgment seat of Christ, and you'll get your reward for how you lived your life in Jesus, how you used your time, talents, and money, and the advancement of the cause of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and the kingdom of God, you'll be rewarded, and you'll go off to eternity with your reward. Nothing you did will help you get to heaven. You got to heaven only by the grace of our Heavenly Father and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by trusting and relying in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Um, but your reward in heaven will be entirely dependent on how you lived your life in Christ. So no Christian will have the same reward in heaven. Our reward, again, Wendy, will be, de will, will be dependent on how we live this life in serving Jesus Christ with our time, our gifts, our talents, our skills, our capabilities, the things we're good at or talented at, and how we used our money in his service. Okay, and we will stand before Jesus in what's called the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. But there'll be another judgment, and Jesus will do that too. And that will be for, for everyone who hasn't received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is in Revelation 20. I believe it's verses 11 to 15. It is verse 11 to 15. And this will be for non-believers. And you'll go before Jesus. Look at it says in verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So all non-believers will go before Jesus. All of, our, all of your secrets, all of their secrets will be made known. Your secrets will be judged. What does he mean by secrets? The motives, why you did things. He just said, right, that, that you know, people have the law of God written on their hearts. They have this moral law written on their hearts by the common grace of God. They have, they have their consciences also bearing witness, their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. He just said that, right? And so now he says this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets, meaning when we stand before him, all our secrets will be laid bare. Our motives will be laid bare why we did what we did, why we thought what we thought. And that, that thought ought to really place every one of us in just the tremendous fear of our Heavenly Father. I know of myself, right? Just when we think of ourselves, and if we think of ourselves with sober judgment, right? We know the kind of things we thought. We know how selfish in self-serving, in sinful, we've been in our thoughts and in our secret thoughts and our desires, you know, and, you know, how just, how myopic we've been, how everything's been about me, me, my, my, me, me, my, my, me, me, my, 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 my. It's all about my life and, you know, my wants and my desires and my family and my kids and my money, right? We've, we've been so self-serving 
for so much of our lives, right? Um, you know, and even so many of the good things we've done, we know that, you know, there's certain things we've done and our motive hasn't really been entirely pure. We know that, right? Um, and so, you know, having, knowing that we're going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account of our thoughts in the fear of God, we want to confess to him now, to him personally, go before Jesus and just say, Lord, you know my thoughts. You already know them. So I go before you now, Lord, and I confess, I know I've been a sinful man. I know I'm a sinful woman, Lord. I know that I've thought terrible things, said terrible things, and done terrible and sinful things. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you came and lived for me and died for me. And I believe you're alive and risen. And I worship you and receive you and call on you now to be the Lord of my life, Lord. Save me, Lord Jesus, I pray. I mean, that thought that, you know, that our secrets will be made laid bare before God, they are now. But, 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 but get before him now. And even as Christians, let's have a lifestyle of repentance. I mean, I spend my life, y'all, you know, uh, generally a day doesn't go by where I don't have some kind of repentance, just where I can just see things, where I just did things with such, man, such impatience and where my motive was self-serving or where I was, you know, you know, uh, you know, I just, I just wasn't altogether, you know, um, other centered or Christ centered you know, in my actions. Uh, the, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. And, and I'm not a patient man. Um, and so, you know, there's just uh, things in our relationship, right? You know, where I'm not the husband I ought to be. And so Paul says this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now it's interesting. He says that the gospel declares there will be a judgment as my gospel declares, okay? And notice Paul calls it my gospel. Do you own the gospel of Jesus Christ as your gospel? It's your gospel. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The gospel declares that there's a coming judgment. Jesus will do the judgment. So make sure that you've received him. Okay, and make sure that this is your gospel for in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a judgment for sin. And you want to make sure that that you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because if not, you'll have to be judged for your own sin and only an eternity in hell awaits. And for those who do not receive Jesus, they'll be assigned a place in hell according to their level of wickedness. So not everyone will have the same reward in heaven and no one will have the same punishment in hell. So give your life to Jesus today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace on our lives, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We come before you now, Lord, and we confess that we are a sinful people, that we need a savior and we thank you, Lord, that you came into this world that you created, lived a perfect righteous life on our behalf, died a torturous death on our behalf. We thank you that you're alive and risen and we worship you today, our only Lord, our only Savior, our only King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen.